the rest of you, go ahead and open up to Ephesians 5. We keep going through the book of Ephesians. And we are now in chapter 5, and we're going to be on verse 21 today. And we're learning some great lessons about the church, about the Christian life, in this wonderful epistle by the Paul. Oh, by the way, if anybody needs a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We've got some coming down from the ushers. Bible, if you want to follow along, that would be great. Um, And you can also get your hand out there and follow along. As we've been going through the book of Ephesians, the theme of Ephesians by Paul, he's reminding Christians that if you're a Christian, you are in Christ. In other words, God the Father looks down from heaven and sees the believer in Christ. Our position is in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. When the Father looks down at the believer, our sins are forgiven. We are as clean as the Lord Jesus Christ himself because he died as a substitute for the sin of sinners. And anybody that's given their life to Jesus Christ can have all sins forgiven past, present, and future in the present tense right now. And so that's what this theme is about. Christians are in Christ and have wonderful spiritual resources, actually all the spiritual resources they need to live a successful Christian life and even more blessings in the afterlife. And so we're looking at different themes that Paul's addressing throughout the book of Ephesians. We've been in a series that started at verse 18 where Paul gave this command to Christians. He said, don't be drunk with wine. That's a lack of self-control, but rather be filled with the Spirit. We talked about that means be controlled by the Holy Spirit at any given moment in your Christian life. And that was a command. We're obligated to do it. And then Paul goes on to tell us what it means to be spirit-filled or what it looks like. So that's where we're at today. Actually, two things. Um, I'm going to ask Scott, can we turn the lights on and see if they work? And then Tim, can you close the door before my Bible blows away? Thanks. And so this command, be filled with the Spirit. Um, This is an ongoing battle for the Christian to be controlled by the Spirit, try to honor God in obedience to Him. And then Paul says, or gives four results of what it looks like to be spirit-filled, and so we've been addressing those. Actually, we addressed the first three results or manifestations of what it looked like to be filled with the Spirit or controlled by the Holy Spirit who lives in the Christian, and that was after verse 18, verses 19 and 20. And today we're looking at verse 21, the last of four results that Paul's going to give us of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. So the question is, at any given time, any Christian could ask, am I filled with the Spirit? Am I being controlled by the Holy Spirit right now? And there's actually a way we could actually evaluate our own life and do a spiritual diagnosis. And one of the ways we could do that is look at these four results that Paul said would be evident in your life. If you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, then you'll be characterized by those four things. Uh, just by way of reminder, Paul said that you would be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, so you'd be encouraging the saints, you'd be edifying others, you're building up verbally with your words, the saints. You're an encouraging person with your words, edifying, not tearing down. That's a sign or a result or a manifestation of being spirit-filled. Another manifestation of being spirit-filled in the middle of verse 19 was singing and making melody with your heart from the inside. That talks about a joyful heart unto the Lord. You're praising God from the heart. You have joy. You're not a bitter person reminiscing, meditating upon all the ways you've been wronged in life and all your enemies. You have joy in the heart and it issues forth in praise to God. That's a sign of being filled with the Spirit, being filled with inexpressible joy. Encouraging others, inexpressible joy to God, and then uh, also verse 20, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be a thankful person. Giving thanks, Paul said. Giving thanks, you're just a thankful person no matter what is going on in your life. And we talked about last week, what is the opposite of giving thanks is complaining 
and whining, right? So if you're a complaining, discontent, whining person, you are not being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the last mark of a Holy Spirit-filled Christian is verse 21. Let's go ahead and look at that, which is a result of being filled with the Spirit in verse 18. Paul says in verse 21, if you're a Spirit-filled Christian, you'll be characterized by and you'll be sub- subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You'll be subject to one another in the fear of Christ if you're a Spirit-filled Christian. Some translations say you'll be submitting to one another, like the ESV. And that's actually a better literal translation of the participle in the ING present tense. It's an ongoing or it should be an ongoing, regular action or pursuit in the life of a Christian. This is a Christian virtue. This is part of Christian ethics. If we want to obey God and be filled with the Spirit, controlled by His Spirit, then we should be characterized in our lifestyle by submitting to one another. And when we get in the mode of not submitting to one another, then we're not being filled with the Spirit. We're grieving the Spirit. We are in that instant in the flesh, Paul would say in Galatians 5, and we are being sinful. So this is the fourth mark of being filled with the Spirit, being submitting to one another, being a submissive person. And primarily, this is talking about an attitude of the heart and of the will. You want to be a spiritual Christian? I do. Then pursue the attitude of being a submissive person. Submitting to who? We might ask. Well, Paul says right here in verse 21, being subject to one another, submitting to one another in the Christian community, having a submissive attitude. So that's the command we're going to look at today. So that's why I call this Spirit-Filled Living Part 3 as we're looking at the last characteristic of what it means to be a Spirit-filled Christian. And that is that we will be submitting to one another in the fear of Christ if we're a Spirit-controlled believer. So I want to just highlight four things that I took away from this verse and share them with you. And the first one is simply just the meaning of submission. This is a command. It's an obligation. It's a lifelong pursuit something we'll be held accountable for. So we should know what submitting is from a biblical point of view, shouldn't we? Because a lot of people have confusion or misrepresent the biblical meaning of submission, meaning uh, that it's a dirty word, it's not a good word, it's not a politically correct word. Submission means that you're a doormat and you don't have any inherent worth or value. That isn't what the Bible means when it talks about submitting. So I want to talk about that. So point number one is the meaning of submission. And I give you the definition here. It means deferring yielding and bending toward others. And the Greek word is, it's very unique, very specific word. It's a compound word. The word submit in your English Bible or submitting or subject, some translations say be subject to one another, submit to one another, or be submitting to one another is the best translation. And the word for submit there, uh, it's a compound word, hupotasso. Hupa is the word we get, you know, hypodermic needle, hypodermic. That's what the Greek word hypo means under. You stick the needle under the skin, a hypodermic needle. Dermis, skin, hypodermic needle goes under the skin. And so it's hypo, hupotasso, hupo, under, getting under somebody, getting under somebody else, under their authority is the implication. So it's a compound word, hupo, under, and then tasso is, means to arrange, to align, to line up. So literally, and it was a military term that commanders would give and those in charge and authority 
Hupotasso meant get in line, fall in, get under somebody's authority. And you know, the military does an excellent job at understanding authority, don't they, and submission. They do. As a matter of fact, you cannot function in the military if you don't get that down. It's very basic. Submitting to others, submitting to authority. That's why it's a military term. Submit. And Paul takes that and he just puts it in the vernacular for everybody. Every Christian needs to be a submitting Christian. Getting in line. Getting under. Someone else's authority. And I think the best English translation today that's graphic for us is yielding. To yield to others. In this case, it's just yielding to everybody. Having a yielding, submissive attitude. Uh, But I put some references there for where this word uh, for submitting or to submit is used all throughout the New Testament many times. I just gave some examples where God requires others to be submissive or to submit in specific situations. For example, Christians or believers are expected to be submissive to the government in Romans 13, to be submissive to God in Hebrews 12, to be submissive to Christ in this chapter, Ephesians 5.24, to be submissive to the Word of God or the law of God, the written law of God, says Paul in Romans 8.7. Christians are to be submissive to church leaders, 1 Peter 5. And then again, 1 Peter 5, 5 says Christians are also to be submissive to one another. So is a church leader supposed to be submissive to anybody in the church? Absolutely, we'll talk about that. Uh, the seventh one, uh, this word is used of Paul commands women to be submissive in the church regarding leadership in the church. Uh, another one is wives need to be submissive to their husbands, and we're going to talk about that in September. Uh, this word is used of demons who are submissive to Christ. And then in the future, after Christ finishes all of his work, he's going to submit the world to himself. So the world and all of creation will be submissive to Christ. And even Christ himself is submissive to the Father. So that's 1 Corinthians 15, 28. So to, be, to submit means to yield. And I just, you know, immediately in my mind when I think of yielding, I think of here I am driving on the highway or the road. We've all experienced it. You've got to get over. You've got to squeeze in. You've got to merge, and you're getting on. And then inevitably, you're going to run into somebody who is not going to let you get in, aren't they? They're not going to let you get in, and they're going to uh, do whatever they can to keep you from cutting in and merging, even if you, as you're getting on the arm ramp, have no place to go. You've only got one option, man. I've got to get over, or I'm going to get run off the road. I've got to get over, or I'm going to get in an accident. And there are people, drivers out there, who just re- they will refuse to let you in. They will not yield. And you know what they're like. They're the ones that they won't look at you. They'll pretend like they don't see you. And they know you're there. And they're mad. And so you speed up and they speed up. So they know you're there. And they're, they're, they don't care if you get in an accident or get run off the road. As a matter of fact, they don't care if they get in an accident. They don't care if they're going to die. They are not letting you merge. They are not going to yield. That's what this word means, to be yielding. So every time I'm on the highway and there's busy traffic... And you come across somebody who actually on the road actually yields to you and goes like this and waves you in. It's like, wow, they, they have got to be a Christian, a spirit-filled Christian. Why would they do that? And I just remember when we had it, we lived in Southern California in 19, I think it was 1994. And on January 31st at 4.31 a.m., we had this huge 7.0 earthquake that woke me up. Actually threw me on the floor along with the ceiling tiles in our room. And it devastated the city that we lived in there near Northridge and Canyon Country and devastated our uh, condo that we lived in and literally destroyed highways all over the place around us. So uh, the next day we tried to drive. We couldn't drive anywhere because all the highways, the 5 and 14 down there in Southern California were destroyed. We couldn't drive anywhere. And the, the traffic was just unbelievably congested all over the city. 
And everybody had to learn to get along and merge for like six months. And I was surprised. I was proud of the Southern Californians who actually were very kind and gracious letting everybody in because we were all on the same boat. Uh, merging, yielding to one another. Well, you know what? That's what the Christian church should be like, shouldn't it? We should be typified by yielding to one another, submitting to one another. I said yielding is one of the best ways to understand that word, but Paul's terminology synonymously in Philippians 2 that Paul uh, that Tim just read earlier was preferring one another. That's what it means to yield and submit to one another. And that's for all Christians. That's just This is a lifestyle. This is an attitude of day-to-day living with one another. Yielding to one another, submitting to one another, preferring one another. Paul says in Philippians 2, I'll just remind you, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. See, that comes first. You've got to have the right attitude to be a submissive person. And what's that? You've got to be a humble person to be a submissive person, deferring to others ahead of you. Somebody who is not submissive, somebody who is not yielding, you know what the problem is? Selfishness. Me first. That's what Paul says in Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfishness. Get your eyes off of yourself and your own rights. Which is the American way, by the way. My rights, my agenda, my way, I want it now. So this ethic is the very antithesis of the American way. It's not me, myself, and I. It's not self-centered. It is rather other-oriented. So Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but rather with humility of mind, lowliness of mind, thinking lowly of yourself. As Paul says in Romans 12, he says, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. You ain't nothing, Christian. That's what Paul says. That's what Lamentations 3 says. In light of my sin, who am I, God, a nobody? Just save sinners. So that's why we should have a selfless attitude, not full of empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you, every Christian, regard one another as more important than yourself. That's the Christian ethic. That's how we should live. And then he goes on to give Jesus is the exemplar, the model of perfect humility and being submissive to others, despite his rights, by the way. We'll talk about that in just a second. So, Submitting to one another means yielding and preferring one another ahead of yourself. That's what Jesus said, right? What's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Did you know we are all inescapably, inherently, insatiably in love with ourselves? We are. Yes. We actually don't have a problem with self-image. At least according to the Bible. And we're going to see that at the end of Ephesians 5. Where Paul says from Scripture that we are in love with ourself naturally. We think about self first all the time. That's why this command made sense when Jesus gave it. Love your neighbor the same way you already love yourself. Elevate them. Because we all have an inflated view of self anyway. Self-preservation and on and on it goes. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. If you do that, you're going to be a deferring, submissive Christian. It's a beautiful thing. It's a command for all Christians. So let's go on to number two. So that was the meaning of submission. What about the mandate for submission? Well, it's an ongoing obligation for every believer. It is a command. This participle goes back and is related to Ephesians 5.18 where it says, Be filled. That's a command. That is an imperative. That is not an option. Christian, we must obey. We must pursue being filled with the Spirit. And a byproduct of that is going to be that we have a submissive attitude. So this is a command. It's an obligation. It's for every Christian. He says one another. Submitting to one another. Every Christian is obligated to do this. 
It's present tense, by the way, this participle. Present tense. I'm just going to keep saying that over and over and over again with all these imperatives and present tense verbs and participles in the book of Ephesians. Present tense means it's an ongoing, regular, expected lifestyle for the Christian. An ongoing, lifelong pursuit. Moment by moment, day by day, the Christian life, it's a journey, it's a long walk, it's an uphill climb. So present tense, this is ongoing. It's got to be an ongoing pursuit. And when we mess up, we all do. We all sin. We all have feet of clay. We all stumble, says James. And when we mess up and sin, First John says that we confess our sin to the Father. So when we're not being Spirit-filled, we hopefully are convicted by the Holy Spirit and ask the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin. And He will cleanse us from our sin. And we continue to pursue this of being a submissive person. So it's an obligation for everybody. And also it's an obligation to one another. It means it's an obligation for every Christian without partiality. In other words, it doesn't matter what your role is in the church. You should still be a submissive person with a submissive attitude towards others. I don't care what your rank is, either in the church or in the community, or what your status is. I shouldn't say, I don't care. The Bible doesn't care. We need to be impartial in our submissive, submitting attitudes towards other Christians. It's without partiality. Like Paul said, and he reminded us in Romans 12, don't think of yourself more highly than you should. That's easy to do for us, isn't it? Actually, it's natural to do. Don't do that. Well, where are we to be submissive? Because we're going to talk about this when we get further along in Ephesians 5 and 6. There are areas and specific situations where we are obligated by virtue of a God-ordained hierarchy of authority of certain people and situations and institutions we're supposed to be submissive to. Like the government and church leadership and in the home. But this is a general command that applies to every Christian. Be submissive to one another. So what? in what context is he talking about? I think the emphasis here is in personal relationships. Where should we be submitting to one another on a regular, ongoing basis in personal relationships as we intermingle with one another from day to day and week to week and month to month in the church, throughout the week, in the workplace, at home, at school? Like I said, it's a Christian virtue. It's an ongoing ethic. So these are areas where we should be submissive to one another in personal relationships. Also, I think in areas of preference. Areas of preference. Where being submissive is not necessarily a command, technically, but an option, technically. By that, I mean we don't have an option to not be submissive to the government because Romans 13 says we need to obey the government. We need to pay our taxes. We need to submit to authority. We need to drive the speed limit. It's not an option. But in areas of preference, the Christian attitude should be that we yield to this principle. We yield to other Christians. We regard others as more important than ourselves. Kind of like... Two weeks ago, when we found out spontaneously on the moment that we couldn't have our fellowship meal in the kitchen, so I got up here and I made an announcement. said, well, well we're going to eat somewhere next week, maybe. Hey, let's go to the park. That's what I want to do. Yeah. Play football. Well, that was my preference. Uh, but then after the service, I mean, I was open to other ideas. I was, uh, s- several people talked to me and said, well, the weather might not be good and it would actually be kind of neat to go to a restaurant. And I thought, oh, that'd be cool. So I said, well, we'll let you guys make the decision and we'll see. So I was fully expecting to be going to a restaurant. Although, actually, my personal preference was to go to the park. And then later on in the week, I found out that we're actually going to the park. And I was like, wow, why are we going to the park? That was my preference, but I'm open to going to the restaurant. And then I was told that, well, you said you wanted to go to the park. And I was like, whoa, 
I didn't know I had that much authority. That's cool. That's good to know. Um, I'm going to say things more often up here. Uh, but I just thought that was a great, sweet testimony of saints in our church submitting, yielding to somebody else. It blessed me, and I would have been happy going anywhere. So that was just a good little testimony. Um, I was reminded this week in a practical way. Like I said, submitting in just ongoing areas of life, the vicissitudes of life, the trials of life, the incidents of life, personal preferences, day-to-day living, the routines of life. And one day this week, Daddy was the cook. I made breakfast. Uh, I think I made uh, Cheerios and something else. Uh, yeah, I did. I made Cheerios and I made apple juice for the kids. And I filled up all the cups with apple juice. And one of my children, I have four children. I'm not going to name them because I don't want to embarrass any of the children. But one of the four children immediately came over, uh, looked at the apple juice and kind of pushed everybody else out of the way and said, let's see, oh, this one has the most. I'm taking that one. And here, I'm meditating on this verse all week long. I've got to preach on it. Submitting to one another, yielding to one another in the routines of life, thinking more lowly of yourself, thinking more highly of others. And then when one of the children did that, I got disappointed. But I didn't get disappointed at them. I got disappointed at me. And my immediate thought was, oh, I'm, I'm not quite there yet in my parenting. Uh, we got more work to do. We haven't arrived yet. Uh, so this isn't so much the child's fault as it is dad's fault. I need to teach this more formally, consistently, systematically, and even modeling it better probably in my life, in my family, in my marriage. If I do that, then maybe they'll follow. But anyway, that's just a natural inclination, right? Oh, this one's got the most. I'm taking that one. That was not yielding. Um, as a matter of fact, I didn't even talk about it at that moment in time because I, I felt bad uh, by lack of parenting getting through. But probably next week it'll become a visual aid and a good teaching tool. By the way, Carissa, it wasn't you, so you don't need to... I think my only child in here right now is Carissa, so it wasn't Carissa, so you're okay. She's kind of <laughs> sulking over and embarrassed and shame. No, you're, you're off the hook. It was one of the other three, or maybe it was Mommy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, it wasn't mommy. She's a good kid most of the time. Okay, <clears throat> number two, the mandate for submission. Let's go to number three. What about the model of submission? Well, that's Christ Jesus the Lord. He is the model of submission. And Tim Wong already read that passage in Ephesians, I mean, sorry, Philippians 2, where it talks about, you know, be humble, be submissive, don't be self-centered, don't be conceited. And then his visual, his illustration is Christ. Be like Christ, who humbled himself, thought less of himself, and did something. Yielded. Yielded to who? Yielded to the request of the Father. Yielded to sinners, believe it or not. That's amazing. That's mind-boggling. Imagine, before all of creation, the Trinity existed for all eternity uncreated. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in perfect communion and union for all eternity past before creation. Totally content with itself, the Trinity was. Perfect fellowship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They don't need humanity. They don't need angels. They don't need creation. Totally independent. Yet for some reason, in God's divine wisdom we don't understand, He decided to create human beings and allow them to sin and fall into sin and to rescue them and save them from their sin and then even enter into a personal relationship with them. And here the Lord Jesus Christ who had perfect unity and communion with the Father for all eternity past yielded to the Father and agreed to come down from heaven to the very earth that the Lord Jesus created to take on a human body that would physically corrupt and someday die. This is 
eternal Son of God doing this, inhabiting a human body, living for 33 years, a very difficult life, a deprived life, and then eventually being rejected for the entire three and a half years of his public ministry and being turned upon by his very countrymen, the Jews, and even some of his own disciples, falsely accused, not a fair trial, crucified, put to death, made fun of, publicly humiliated, all to die on the behalf of sinners. It's the greatest example of humility and yielding the universe has ever known. And then the Lord Jesus Christ rose triumphantly for the forgiveness of sin. But Paul says in Philippians 2, Christ Jesus is our model of what it means to yield to others. He died for us. He took our shame, even though, look at his uh, position. He was the... He was Almighty, eternal God. Totally equal with the Father from all eternity past. Came down here. Yielded on behalf of sinners. And then he did it in life as well, just, just before his death where he had that last supper with his 12 apostles and they get in the upper room and they're all their feet are all stinky and dirty and the custom in that day was that the butler, the lowliest loser in the house, was supposed to wash everybody else's feet. And they're sitting down having dinner and nobody else decided to wash feet. Nobody thought to wash Jesus' feet, who was Almighty God in the flesh. So what does Jesus do? He doesn't rebuke them or complain and say, well, what about my rights? Hey, I'm the Savior. I'm the Judge. I'm the Son of God. I created you. He didn't say that. He just got up as a servant, yielded to the twelve apostles and washed their dirty, smelly, stinky feet and said, look, I have given you an example. I want you to serve others like I just served you, yielding to them. John 13, amazing. So that's our model. The Lord Jesus Christ is our model to follow. Be like Christ. Who in the church is to be most publicly like Christ and even privately? I would say the leadership of the church is obligated to be most like Christ. And church leadership is servant leadership. It's the opposite of leadership in the world. In the world, might makes right. In the church, it's servant leadership. That's the purpose statement of Jesus in Mark 10.45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. And He wanted all of His church leaders to follow suit. If you're going to be a leader in the church, an authority in the church, first and foremost, you need to be a servant in the church with a submissive attitude, submitting to others on a regular basis. And by the way, being a submissive person with a submissive attitude, preferring others above yourself, is not antithetical or mutually exclusive of being an authority in the church. They go together. Because you can be a submissive person to others on a general, routine basis as you should be because Christ was and at the same time be a good, strong leader in the church. Because leaders in the church, they need to be strong. They need to be confident. They need to be bold. They need to be courageous in many ways. They need to be decisive. They need to be clear in setting direction and vision. Protecting the sheep. Strong leadership. The New Testament word for this is meekness. A beautiful balance of being strong and humble and submissive at the same time. So of anybody in the church that needs to routinely be submissive to others, it is the leadership of the church. I'm absolutely convinced of that. I entered pastoral ministry formally in 1989, have pastored at least that I could count five different churches. And, I, and a lot of my seminary buddies and college buddies that were Bible majors, I saw them go off to churches all over the place and have stayed in contact with them for almost 20 years to see where they're at and how ministry is going. know a lot of pastors. Served on plenty of, I did, elders and deacons boards and leadership boards in the church. 
And I want to go to Titus. If you got your Bible, go to Titus chapter 1. In light of this question, who is supposed to be the most submissive in the church? I, I am convinced it needs to be the church leadership. Modeling that for everybody else. That's what Paul said to Timothy. Timothy was a pastor in the church. And Paul said to Timothy, be thou an example to the flock. And then he lists the virtues. Love. Be an example, church leader. Titus chapter 1. Well, if you want to be a church leader, an elder in the church, an overseer in the church, a bishop in the church, a pastor in the church, there are qualifications to be met. Just go through this list real quick with me and follow along. Of the qualifications to be an elder, starting at verse 7. Sorry, verse 6. There's 14 qualifications in Titus 1 for elders, pastors, leaders in the church. And this is what I want you to keep in mind as I read all these qualifications or virtues. In the, since 1989, however many that, what, going on 18, in the 18 years that I've been serving in pastoral ministry at the five different churches of all the boards I've served on, one of these qualifications without a doubt is the one that is most frequently violated by leaders in the church, in my opinion, that I have seen from my personal experience. As I think about all the church leaders that I've known and even the ones that I struggle with the most, which qualification was violated the most? Hands down, it's not even close. What number one is? I'm going to read through it. If any man, if any man wants to be an elder pastor, bishop in the church, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, Self-controlled, verse 9, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching in order that he may be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. And if I were to ask you, which one of these have I seen violated time and time again, way more than any others? I don't know, what would you say? But this is the answer. And it might surprise you, self-willed. Self-willed leaders in the church. That's pride. My way, might makes right. I'm the pastor. I'm the authority. I'm the deacon. I'm in charge. I've seen it time and time again. I have to battle that myself. Pride. So that's good to know for our own church as we ask God to raise leaders in our church. We don't want self-willed leaders. We want servant leaders. Self-willed is the very antithesis and the opposite of a submissive heart and attitude. So we need to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go on to number four, the motive for submission. Paul says, well, the motive is a heart issue, and primarily it is the fear of Christ, our Savior and Judge. He saved us, so we live for Him. Living for Him means being submissive like He was. He saved us, and He's created us, so He's going to judge us. And because He is our Judge, we are accountable to Him. Therefore, that should affect the way we live right now. We still have to face Jesus as judge. He is our Savior. He has forgiven us of sin, and yet we are still accountable to Him someday. Listen to... I'm just going to read a few verses. They're sobering, but they, they're written to Christians. They're written to believers. The first one is in Hebrews 4. So let me read that one. This has to do with the fact that, our, that we are accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ, and our accountability to Him should motivate the way we live, and we should live the right way with a submissive attitude. And Hebrews 4... 
13 says, There is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. To Him, the one we have to give an account to, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says here, be a submissive person out of reverence for Christ. And the word he uses there for reverence is fear, out of the fear of Christ. As some translations say, fear is a legitimate translation of that word. Because the Greek word is phobos, where we get the word phobia in English. That means fear. That is the word. Fear of Christ. You mean as a Christian, I need to be afraid of God? Yeah, to a degree. As a Christian, your sins are forgiven, but there is still a holy awe, fearful intrepidation of Almighty God. Because He is infinite, all-glorious. We are finite, weak, and sinful. Like Peter in Luke chapter 5, when he realized who Jesus was, he fell on his feet and called himself a sinful man. Lord Jesus, I don't even deserve to be around you. So we need to have fear of a holy God that is healthy and a good motivation for holy living and having a submissive attitude. Um, 1 Peter 1.17 says the same thing. We need to live our days here on earth in fear. In light of the accountability we have to give to God someday. And then the last one regarding that great truth of being accountable to God, the Christian being accountable to God, is 2 Corinthians 5.10. Listen to this one. This confuses a lot of Christians, depending upon your English translation. Some English translations do a disservice to the literal words of this text and create confusion. But in 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul says this to Christians. For we, Christians... Paul's talking about himself as an apostle, the greatest apostle that ever was. Paul includes himself in this verse. For we, believers, Christians, who have been forgiven of sin by trusting in Christ, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ when we die. This is called the Bema judgment. And it was used in the Olympics, the stage where, you know, where what was given out? Awards were given out. Awards. Someday we need to appear before the award ceremony and stand of Jesus Christ, the judge, in order that each Christian, every one of us, may be recompensed, paid back for his or her deeds done in the body while we're here on earth according to what we have done, whether good or not for profit. Wow, that's sobering. Now, just so you know, this doesn't mean you're going to be punished for your sin when you get to heaven if you're a Christian. All of your sin, if you're a Christian, was already punished when Jesus got punished by the Father on the cross. Okay? This is talking about rewards and blessings in heaven based on your obedience with the right heart towards God in this life. Nevertheless, we are still accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ as our judge and as a result should motivate us for holy living in a submissive attitude. In conclusion, I want to ask this question. What is the byproduct in the community, the believing community, the Christian community, that is characterized by, dominated by those who are spirit-filled and are edifying others, joyful singing praises to God with the right attitude, always giving thanks for their blessings because they deserve nothing. And they are on a regular basis submitting to everyone else around them. What would that church look like? What would that community look like? I'll tell you what it would look like. It would be, there would be peace. There would be harmony. There would be unity. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 2, we looked at it. The pinnacle of spiritual maturity is unity, is what Paul said. If you have a divided church squabbling with one another from the leadership on down, you know what you have? You have a carnal church. You have a disobedient church. 
you have an immature church. But when a church does this, submitting to one another, you have peace, you have unity, you have harmony, you have joy, you have love. You have a church body corporately getting along. And in the words of Jesus, the world is going to know that you are my disciples for your love for one another, your unity for one another, your peace for one another, your submissive attitudes towards each other. You're going to magnify a clear picture of who the Lord Jesus Christ is to a lost world. That's my prayer for Grace Bible Fellowship. That would be a unified, loving, harmonious group of people characterized by spirit-filled living and on a regular basis submitting to one another in love because of Christ. If we do that, you know what? God is going to bless this church. And if you do that on a regular basis, God will bless your individual Christian life and you will grow and grow and grow. So let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer, thanking Him for His Word and, and also that He keep His hand of blessing on our local church to keep us submitting to one another, led by the Holy Spirit. Father, we do thank You for another Lord's Day, which is a reminder and celebration that Jesus Christ literally rose from the dead 2,000 years ago never repeated by any human being and never will again in the way that he did it, raising himself from the dead, conquering death, sin, the devil, the world, the curse of God on our behalf for those who believe and trust in him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive today, present in our worship, living in the very hearts of those who have trusted in you. And God, I just pray that you'd continue to help us be walking in the Spirit, submitting to you, loving one another, submitting as you guide us every step of the way, so that one of the byproducts can be that we'd be a great testimony to the world for you. God, we just pray that you would bless us as we go. We commit our time to you in Christ's name. Amen.